Hi, Alec. How are you? I'm doing good, Bridget. How are you doing? I'm good. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And uh, we have a really fascinating, I mean, all of our guests are fascinating, but we have a particularly fascinating guest today who's also a, a friend of mine. Uh, we're going to be bringing her on a little in a little while, Nicole Delma, who arrived like a, a typhoon on the East End, but like a good one because she is a harbinger of change, especially in the environmental field. And, right. And have there ever been typhoons in Long Island? No, because that's like a, it's a, a not right. a southern thing, like not like south. Well, I would say then she arrived like a hurricane. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that that saying's been overused. I was trying. I was trying to be original. Damn it. All right. You make it so hard. <laughs> she arrives like the summer masses on Memorial Day. Well, yeah. If it were any other Memorial Day, anyway, like environmental stuff is. I mean, environmental stuff sounds so trite, but it's been a, a growing issue on the East End. You and I have had guests on before talking about all kinds of waterway problems and all, all sorts of stuff like that. Where do you stand on the environment, Alec? <laughs> I'm completely against uh, climate change, but while it's here, I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like I, I go to the beach and walk my dog every morning and uh, try and clean up plastic I see and I find it to be horrible, and I know that like humanity dumps something like two million tons of plastic into the oceans every year, and it's, it's it's a horrible, horrible thing that we're doing to the place that we have to call home. And I also think, much like a lot of other things that I certainly have learned during the Corona uh, pandemic, is um, we are all in this together, and um, the footprint that we create and the lifestyle we choose to have has a direct impact on our well-being. You know what's incredible? I mean, I, and, and what you're saying rings so true with me. I have friends on the East End, like my, like Brian Downey, who has been on our show before, who uh, just basically polices Long Beach and Sag Harbor. He just collects, you know, pounds and pounds and garbage bag after garbage bag of plastic and other detritus that people have just thrown away. I just went for a walk on my property in Mariches, which is fenced in, and I picked up three face masks. I don't know, like they must have blown in. It's disgusting. Better than the, the orange rinds and the condoms that used to be. Uh, <laughs> I get those too. I get those like the empty vodka bottles and yes. Look, this is this is reality, and and we can either choose to see it with open eyes. I, I'll tell you the one thing I actually do believe. I believe that like uh, humankind has always been capable of adaptation and change, and that um, all we really need to do is properly incentivize the cleaning up of of our environment. Uh, probably financially, but, uh, you know, maybe in status. And uh, if that happens, then the environment will get cleaned up. That's fascinating. What a fa I mean, uh, I'm sure that there's people, and when, when, when we bring Nicole Delma on, I bet she'll have something to say about that. But what, if, yeah, of course, if you reward people for their good behavior instead of ignoring their bad behavior, yeah. you know, maybe better results, right? And, and let, what is plastic but some form of oil? And if that could be cultivated in mind and repurposed, I'm sure there's somebody uh, in in, uh, in the financial world that can make a buck on it, and you know, then the scales may tip again. Well, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, and uh, we're gonna bring on Nicole Delma, uh, who is an East Ender who's passionately saving the universe. <laughs> she'll she'll come on and be all embarrassed about it, but she is. And uh, you're listening to us here Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sakalu, and we will be right back after this. Back Sundays on the East End. Bridget Leroy here with. I'm still Alex Sokolov. <laughs> I'm always just testing you. I'm. It's actually a test to see whether how far the dementia has progressed. Actually, yeah, well, you know what? I've tried on so many hats, and I still unfortunately keep coming back to that one. So Alex Dub Sokolov. Alex Dub Sokolov. That's it. Ads. My ads. My high school buddy. My high school sweetheart. Anyway, we're going to bring on Nicole. Nicole Delma. Welcome to Sundays on the East End. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Where where exactly are you at this moment? 
At this moment, I'm in my office, which is uh, in uh, Sag Harbor. So I'm looking out at the, the marina. I'm right above Bagel Buoy next to the florist. So got it. Nice. And do you live in Sag Harbor or you live, uh, what township do you live in? I live in Sag, uh, over, in, over in Noyak. Nice. How long have you been out on East End? I've been out full-time for five years, since honestly, since I decided to start a family and uh, didn't want to raise kids in the city. Uh, and, and prior to that, I was coming out um, every weekend to surf and take surf lessons with uh, the man who's now my husband <laughs> and the father of my children. Um, which which factored into the move, and he's a, a longtime resident. He grew up in Noyak and Bridgehampton, um, and there was you know a certain point at which I just decided, you know, it was shortly. It was actually on the heels of Sandy where I just decided I really didn't have to be in the city anymore, and um, decided to commit and move out here. But you uh, you started off in Seattle or around Seattle, am I right? I did, I did, and so in the what they call the. Uh, east side of Seattle, ironically, so over in like Kirkland, Bellevue area, um, and spent quite a bit of time down in the city as well. But yep, native Pacific Northwester, um, and I still go back there. And I know that you're kind of known by by many on the East End as as being the founder of the uh, Airland and Sea series for the Hamptons Film Festival. And there's other you know other hats you wear, but we got to talk Survivor. I'm sorry, I have to bring it up. <laughs> You're jumping in. I got to clear this, right? How many, Nicole, like how many times a day do you have to be like, roll your eyes like, oh, okay, I'll talk about that again. Oh, it's so funny. I, there's actually moments where I forget that I did it, if you can believe it. <laughs> and I guess that says something about how long ago it was, but there, there's been this resurgence of interest lately. And I don't know if it's because, you know, it still is a huge fan base. Like at the time that the show aired, I mean, I was on in 2003. So early on um season seven and all right so I do, I do have a legitimate question what was the audition process like how do you get on a show like survivor so the, this is where i'm kind of spilling the beans a bit but i didn't audition <laughs> really it, um i was recruited i was actually working if you can believe it i was preparing to go to medical school working as a sports massage therapist with the pro volleyball tour on the beach in uh, Southern California and was in really great shape at that time in my life doing triathlons and marathons and, you know, had no distractions. So, so very fit. And I guess I fit the profile because they wanted to come and recruit volleyball players. And then they realized the size difference was going to be a problem, like the gorgeous and talented and athletic females, but they would be towering a foot or so over most of the men that they cast. And so, you know, my five foot five became attractive to them. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm five one. I'm I'm like five and a bit. And when I'm around those women, I get like a little. I get a little nervous, you know. So it was a lot. Yeah. I, any social engagement, I had a sore neck the next day because I spent the whole time staring up at them. And uh, but it worked out. It worked out in my favor. Here's my here's my connection to women's volleyball. So I li I lived in, out in L.A. for a long time, and I actually. The house I raised my family in, um, Gabriella Reese had was the previous uh, resident. Oh wow, she's lovely. Yeah, she's really great. Yeah, she left. She left the house very clean. <laughs> well, anyway, so you were on the show Survivor, which was which you know is an experience that you can put you know chalk up as as an experience because wow, not many people get that opportunity. Sure. And, um, but but you, I, when did your interest start really in, you know, actually, I mean, obviously everyone is kind of concerned about the environment, but not everybody does something about it or starts something about it. Tell Because then you went into the corporate world. Am I right? I, I did. So it was sort of a roundabout path to get there. Um, if you can believe it or not, when I got back from Survivor, so I, I got my undergrad education in Silicon Valley at Santa Clara, and I graduated right in the dot-com boom in 2000. My first job was... Um, as a media buyer for a semiconductor manufacturer, I knew everything that you needed to know about semiconductors, reprogrammable microchips. <laughs> and so, you reinvented yourself so many times. You like you need like a patent office or something. I, I counted in my twenties. I think I'd had seventy three jobs. Um, so I've I've done a lot of different things. But the, at that job, I was next door to eBay. So it was sort of you know planted the seed for you know, the e-commerce digital marketing that I got into later in life. But um, when I came back from Survivor, it was really hard to find work there. 
people thought I was going to be difficult and cause trouble in the office. And there was um, a strange discrimination about. Had you, had you pursued a, a life in front of the camera before that? Or was no, this really? No. Um, yeah. Right. So, so it must have been quite uh, jarring to suddenly have to deal with the concept of uh, renown or celebrity. It, it was really strange. And, you know, I, I always say the blessing was that it, it was before Facebook. Um, it was during, there were chat rooms. And I remember like falling off a chair with my friend that also did the show and reading some of the things people were writing about us. <laughs> and just like, and we were, we were advised by all the CBS staff not to read anything. But then of course you want to, you want to hear what's said. So it was very strange. And, and the first time I walked into a grocery store to, you know, buy milk or whatever, and the, the guy at the register said, I know who you are. My, my default was like, oh, did we go to high school together? <laughs> and then that when he, he recognized it and flash forward, I, you know, a few months after I got back, I, I took a job at the mall. I was doing <laughs> working at a cash register in, in D.C. And my uh, good friend that did the show with me, she worked at the store across the way at Banana Republic. And people would come in and just be baffled that <laughs> two cashiers like both were on the show. Well, that makes sense to me for the very simple, literally bottom line, where when you are on a show, you do get paid for it, but it's not not nearly the money that people may assume. And that for no. people that really succeed in the game of celebrity, it's their ability to create themselves as a brand and then ultimately uh, exploit themselves, you know, to, to get wealthy. True, that's really true. And I I did find a couple unique ways to to grow on it. I actually sold everything that I wore on the show on eBay and like the, the <laughs> little dress that I wore, um, like eBay again, I sold for like, I think $2,500, which oh you know was a lot of money to me at the time. And yeah. I actually recently got it. I recently got it back from the mannequin it was living on in the man's basement that bought it. So that, that was interesting. <laughs> that sounds a little bit, uh, creepy. Like, I don't feel <laughs> But it does bring us back to the it does bring us back to the idea of reusing, repurposing, and recycling, which is kind of like you're the queen of that. So let let's get yeah, that's a good point. Let's get a a little bit into the environmental talk before our next break. You know, you're, I mean, I now picture you okay, survivor's way in your rearview mirror, and you're living the corporate lifestyle before Sandy in New York City. Is that where you were? Um, I was. I was actually yes. I was in Soho. Um, I was in D.C. for a couple of years before that in Philly for a little bit. But I was at the time of Sandy, I was in New York City. But I imagine that you'd always been interested in environmental, you know, resources or something. It must have been spread through your life. It didn't just happen when you moved out here. So that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And, and sure. So to, to answer your question, I didn't answer earlier that the connection to the environment was just part of our lifestyle in the Pacific Northwest, part of everyone's lifestyle. You, everyone owned a Patagonia and Birkenstocks and that was, you wore it to death. And it, it just wasn't, um, you know, I was not, my, my parents ironically were both in fashion and uh, I never really understood like the, the churn and the, the cycle of that. And so was, would tended to be a little bit more simplistic and liked making my own clothes and things like that. And we got involved early with, you know, Earth Day and, and all of, all of the things that went into that. And it was part of our curriculum. And every every kid knew the name of every different species on the beach there in the Puget Sound and um, spent a lot of time at the aquarium and spent a lot of time in the outdoors. And, uh, you know, that's changed a little bit with Amazon and, and some of the other corporate developments in Seattle. But at that time, I can say that I shared that with pretty much every peer that I grew up with. And it never really left me. And I was going to say, so what is the axis, I guess, of where your your love, your love, and and you know, your care of the environment? Where did it intersect with it becoming something that you became a champion for? Because everybody cared, but not everybody does something about it. Yeah, it's a, a good question. I think there were two two catalysts. The first one, um, you know, as you mentioned, I got into a career that was in corporate marketing. Uh, I worked at Conde Nast in their database department. I, when I started working there, they asked if I wanted to work with the modelers, and I thought that sounded very glamorous. I didn't realize they meant the PhD mathematical team of modelers, but <laughs> I quickly acclimated and uh, started understanding, you know, working with large audiences and slicing data sets and getting responses out of them with different creative and 
um, combinations of words. So that well, that sounds like that goes back to what you were saying about your time at Santa Clara and kind of you know like looking underneath the hood of the engine that drives technology. That that's exactly it. And I was I was actually fascinated by it and ended up spending several years working at Condé Nast and still do work with them on um, a consultant basis. And just this idea that you could move whole groups of people to action, um, whether that was philanthropic or getting them to buy a pair of shoes or, or vote with the right combination of messages at the right time was something that absolutely fascinated me. Uh, I did spend a couple years in undergrad studying psychology before I switched, ironically, to TV and movie production. But um, I, I just had this sense of, you know, I, I started having conversations with friends that, you know what, I'm communicating with millions of people every week. Obviously, it wasn't me, Nicole Delma. It was me on behalf of Vogue or on behalf of, you know, The New Yorker um, or Anna Wintour or some, some individual there. And what did I have to say? What, what was I doing with that skill? And at, at the point that I was at J. Crew and Sandy hit, and I really wanted to do more in terms of relief messaging. And obviously, they have a database of several million. Um, I was told, no, you need to focus on the revenue. And I completely understand that from a business decision. But it um, it just left me feeling like, am I really doing the most I can do with this strange skill set and interest I have in working with audiences? Um, and, and so I started to look for an opportunity to use that skill, um, I guess, for for better good, for, for my own peace of mind, I think, to alleviate the guilt I had about spending so much of my time and earning a living just making money for the sake of selling things and moving products and influencing consumers. Just if I can interject for a second, um, you are the founder of the Airland and Sea series, but you've also done work with Sundance and and uh, other, film, other films uh, as well, or other ocean-related. Um, I know you surf rock for ocean and a couple of other places so you've you've really so you did manage to really i hate the word pivot it's overused it's this year's curate but i'm going to use it you really pivoted from being a corporate i don't want to say mouthpiece but yeah kind of like you you were to being someone who could strategize the environment in a way uh, it's incredible what you've managed to, to accomplish and people can go and look you up nicole delma and and see for themselves because we're not even able to touch on everything oh. but you you ended up out here let's talk about that film series how'd you get involved with the uh is it, is it the hamptons film festival that runs that series it is it, it is so i you know having studied film in school and not at you know nyu or or you know, UCLA, just at a my small technical school, but we I did have a professor that would, came out from NYU. I just have always loved film. And there's something about film that it just absorbs so many of your senses and you can tell a much deeper story than you can through a lot of other mediums. And uh, I was doing some work with Surfrider and uh, had produced a short film with them on water quality um, that Mikey de Temple directed. And then I worked with Edwina Bangal, um, Perfect Earth Project. And we um, produced a film with her that was on non-toxic landscaping. And just saw that the, the difference of that medium and wanted to, to take it a little bit farther. And I already had a really great experience working with the Hamptons International Film Festival. They were the first group that I um, got involved with philanthropically when I first moved out here because I decided I wanted to give to something and the film festival was like such a saving grace for me my first winter <laughs> out here I was so thrilled and I was a you know a new mom with a, a I was taking like a one-week-old baby there and so I'd, I'd asked them I said you know do you guys have you ever considered having an environmental film category uh, and they said that's a great idea can you can you run with it? Um, and they were super welcoming. And, and were you curating mostly, you curating mostly uh, uh, docs, or were, were there scripted uh, content as well? There, there is scripted content as well. And um, I, I always maintain that I have nothing to do with the curation, um, with the exception that I can send them suggestions, which they may or may not like for various different reasons. So it's really still on. Uh, that the team that maintains the integrity of the curation of um, of the films for all categories. So my role is more in finding ways to connect with the community, finding funding, um, and then helping them to um, if they need moderate uh, the events that we do. Like we do a dinner series at Tudo Il Giorno, which Bridget was was so gracious to moderate our last one, which gave me. Um, a, a lot more pleasure out of the event because I actually got to sit there and listen to it, and she did such a great job. So 
that um, that that's my involvement. <laughs> what I'm probing a little bit though is I just am, I'm curious, like what films, what content would you say really stick with you, and/or would you want to impart to to an audience to say go check this out uh, to to get a sense of of what we're really talking about? Well, there's a couple of films I would definitely recommend. One is uh, one that we screened at the beginning of this year called The Serengeti Rules, and it goes deep into uh, the lives of four different uh, scientists that were all studying keystone species, which are species that through their extinction or through their growth can impact an entire chain, an entire ecosystem. Uh, and it used to be believed that the, those species had to be predators. You had to be, you know, the lions had to disappear to really break down an ecosystem in Africa. And they've since discovered that the keystone species could be sea anemones or it could be um, ants if they're destroying the foliage. Um, yeah, the film is just great. I got to see that movie twice and it I it stayed with me. In fact, there was a year when I went to the film festival, I think it was like the only movie or I only saw like one other movie. I didn't go to any of the big ones. And that movie stayed with me because it really taught me something about, you know, a scientific reason that the environments change. Like and and it sometimes starts you think like you said, you think it's gonna be something big and it's something so small, like an amoeba that 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 is eaten by plankton or something like that, and it just, you know, blows up the whole environment if that disappears. Right. It was fascinating. Right. And the and the uplifting, you know, so many films in the environmental space struggle to to keep people engaged because they are so so overwhelming and they can really it can put such a huge burden or, uh, you know, kind of a, a downtrodden outlook on the future. And Serengeti rules shows that they're having success. So as they reintroduce these keystone species and bring the populations back up, over just a few years, the entire ecosystems are balancing back out. And I think that, that that's really key because, you know, we're, we're losing, you know, thousands of species every day. And we're really facing, a you know, a point where I think over 50% of the ocean species are now extinct and, and we're losing such a rapid rate that we're not consciously um, considering the impact of this, whether it's, you know, shark finning or tuna overfishing, which is then impacting the entire marine ecosystem. Um, and so it really comes back to like systems thinking and, and getting people to, to think in that way, because one of the biggest things I think I confront when trying to educate people on environmental issues is they're really quick to say, um, in some cases, oh, well, well, this is that, and that's the end of it, and we're not really involved in that um, for, with the plastic. Yeah, but don't you think, in, in, you know, COVID-19 is a real shift for, I think, hopefully a lot of consciousness, and I, I would think that people are, are, are being forced to confront that we're involved with everything. You know, we're involved uh, with things that happen uh, you know, a, a halfway around the world, we're involved with things in our own backyard and community uh, that it's impossible to live uh, at this moment uh, on this planet and not uh, somehow have a stake in the overall well-being of, of things we never used to think about. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that there there's definitely a silver lining. Uh, and I know that that I, I say that with you know great empathy for the people that are are really suffering or have lost loved ones. Um, it, I'm not saying that it, it's a good thing that 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 had to be the cost that we're paying, but for the, there's been a shift in consciousness, and you can feel it. You actually can feel it when you walk outside that there's a shift in energy. I was talking with my son just the other day, and we were, and we were just saying like you know human nature is is like you just hope that five years from now. There, there, there are. There's still this feeling that it's, it, you know, the positive thing, not the, not the unsettling thing. Yeah. I hope so, Alec. But you know, things go in so, so cyclical. And is it Castaneda who said, um, "What is it? Those who do not learn from the past are condemned to repeat it." Is that that the saying? I think so. That sounds good. We're going to take a little break. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolo. And we're speaking with Nicole Delma, and we're going to be right back after this. 
When an Eskimo gets bit by a mosquito, somebody in Miami will get swept by a tsunami. Rosters in Jamaica will get hit by a quake that registers something like 8.8. .8. You see, a situation's happening with our planet, cause 20 years ago we took it for granted. We should have took advantage and reversed the damage instead of just pumping and selling and slanging the gas. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Sundays on the East End. This is Alex Sokolow. With Bridget Leroy. And our guest uh, this week is uh, Sag Harborian, world traveling, environmentally conscious, data crunching. <laughs> Nicole How are you? <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. I want you to have that on a T-shirt, or I want you to put that on your desk. Whatever he just said, I want like a. <laughs> I didn't even include like probably super mom. How are you handling the quarantine with your family? I have never had a better time. <laughs> so I feel guilty saying that, but I, the first, the first couple months, uh, you know, I made the decision to actually pull them out of school a couple days before it was mandated. Um, and we actually quarantined at my office because my husband and I decided that we should stay separate because we're, we're boarding parents and we, you know, didn't want to put anyone else at risk and wanted to make sure that at least one of us stayed stayed healthy because we figured our exposure was pretty high. I'd been to the city and, and he was working with the borders. So it was interesting. We just cocooned in, you know, the small space of the office, which is, you know, technically an apartment. And we did arts and crafts. And that was sort of where I started brainstorming the new business idea. Um, and my kids love it. So that's a very good segue to talk about this business, which you actually came up with before quarantine, but what a perfect quarantine activity. Please, you know, elaborate. Sure. So so the business is called Mind Offline. Um, website's mindoffline.org, which um, we encourage you to visit and then get off very quickly because we don't want you to spend too much time online. <laughs> and the same is with the Instagram. But the, the concept actually came to me um, you know, a couple of years ago when I was really struggling with the amount of time I was spending online through the nature of my work, like sometimes eight hours a day, sometimes 10 hours a day, and the effects that I felt. And I know there's a lot of scientific research that supports, you know, the strobe effect and, you know, many other, um, you know, damaging physical functions. But there was another piece of it that really um, presented itself to me and that I realized I was not actually making anything. So I was making money for other companies. I was making campaigns. But at the end of the day, I had nothing to really show for it except for maybe some, you know, digital ad work or, you know, spreadsheets to show the results of it. And it um, it just left me with this really, you know, empty feeling of, of what is the purpose of this work. And around that time, I took up knitting. And I had been exposed to it a couple of times before through this great little shop in Soho. And the knit knitting saved my life. <laughs> you sound contagious. You're like, I was exposed to knitting. <laughs> oh my gosh. And once you get into it, there's um, skein, cocaine, there, there's a whole bunch of incredible Instagram handles that go into it because it's truly, truly addictive. And um, men are getting into it now as well. And there's some incredible male knitters, but for women, even especially they're it definitely releases serotonin and there's something to that repetitive process that we're more akin to. NFL uh, great and I, maybe even Hall of Famer Rosie Greer, who was unfortunately one of Bobby Kennedy's bodyguards the, the night he was assassinated, was a mm -hmm. renowned and, and avid uh, knitter. I'm so happy that you just taught me that. I didn't know that. But yeah. I, people come out of the woodwork and they're like, I knit or I crochet. And you, they kind of say it quietly. And then you're like, you know, and then you have a stash. And like, there's a, a loft space in my office that's completely full of yarn. Um, and it, it all started with like, I'll make a hat, I'll make a scarf. And then you just, you start falling in love with the fiber and the texture and meeting the artisans that make it. and and the satisfaction of dreaming up something in your head, the problem solving uh, that that takes place, and I think just using your hands can bring you so much joy. And and there's you've completed it, and you know you you work to perfect it, and there's not really any purpose for it. So I imagine it would be different if it were, you know, knitting in a factory for for a living. But um, I it just opened my eyes. I was like, I just turned a corner here. 
And this is really changing my life. So I wanted to share it with other people. Amazing. And, and where, does one, uh, a, where is one able to get all of the supplies and the knowledge out on the East End? So you can go to mindoffline.org, uh, which is the website. And eventually we will have a nonprofit arm of the business as well. But a lot of those um, new business offices are on hold right now with, with COVID. So for now, it's, um, you know, it's a small shop where we, we wanted to launch with uh, physical workshops and, and events. But in, in the meantime, we're doing maker kits and we'll deliver them to you. And we have partnered with local artisans. Yeah, I was going to say, tell me about because it's not just knitting. It's all kinds of maker kits. It's really cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, I mean, I'm so fortunate. Like, I, I had the chance to work with Peter Spacek um, last year on the, the Guildhall bus wrap. I don't know if you saw his bus um, driving around town, the jitney that was, had his design on it. And then he did the cover of the Guildhall program guide, which we um, we worked on together. So, reach out to Peter Spacek, who has, you know, illustrated for New York Times, New Yorker. Um, East Hampton Star, of course, and and he has this cartoon class that he normally teaches in person, and he transformed the entire class into a, a maker kit, and so it will be delivered in a cedar box that's handmade over in Amagansett by Brian at uh, Grain Surfboards, and then he's chosen all of his favorite supplies, and he's uh, hand-drawn the instruction booklet to get you started in cartooning, so the first one is called Draw Funny, if you want to start learning how to um, illustrate cartoons or satire. And then uh, there's a ceramic artist who just gorgeous work named Mary Jaffe based out of Bridgehampton. Um, and she has been working with myself and my kids for a few years in her studio. And I reached out to her and said, would you, would you like to do a kit? And so we put together a kit where she um, shapes a base and then to minimize any, you know, germs are back and forth. There's no wet clay, you get it already finished and then you get to, to glaze it. And then we'll pick it up and, you know, we're, we're again following all the protocol to make sure that there's no risk involved. And then you'll get your, your finished glaze piece back and we'll be adding plates and mugs and um, some other shapes this week. And it's not just for kids. I mean, this, it's who's your demographic? Adults, right? Oh, it, it, it's we say age four to 104. And for some of the kits, it, it can be even younger. Like we, we have a collage kit with stick and stone with beautiful um, handmade papers that she's been collecting for years and years. And uh, my two-year-old did that with no problem and, and she just loved it. So, you know, many in the, the base painting you could honestly do with younger kids as well. You, you just want to watch them. But um, the idea is to really elevate, you know, arts are great and crafts are great, but when you put arts and crafts together, it kind of brings this, you know, lesser quality to your brain where you're expecting plastic or, or less than, you know, materials and so we're really it's the plastic free uh, materials that the artists truly use and approve of themselves and then wherever possible integrating the artist products so that they're able to um, continue making their living during the, the process so you know we have a soap felting kit where all of the, the soap is procured from Southampton Soap Company for example so as much as possible we're you know we're the next kit we're working on is a, a sourdough bread starter kit with um peter spacek's wife what did a sourdough i i was so proud of myself i got a watermelon and it's in my fridge now i made i made a loaf i was like geez i feel like a little house on a prairie i'm so i'm so i was like patting myself on the back my arm almost fell off that's so cool but i also see you have like the diy skateboard that's so cool yes 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 that's developed by grain. So in some cases, the, the companies already had, um, you know, kits that they had developed, but I'm just trying to give them a little broader audience. So again, it's kind of going back to my background in digital marketing. And then I'm just, you know, selfishly, I just want to spend more time making and discovering things to make and meeting the people that make things because that that's what I love doing. And I want to share it with other people. So um, yes. And, you know, I hope that someday this becomes something that we can all meet in person and uh, get together and, and do these activities in a space and, and collaborate. But until then, um, you know, it's a way to, to get offline for a little bit and just put your brain in, in that happier zone and, and hopefully like reignite that part of you. I think many of us are makers and we just either fell out of touch with it or um, are interested in finding a new medium and a new teacher. Either we're telling our own stories or we're helping other people tell their stories. And Nicole, you seem to be very um, kind of in touch with that, which is very cool. Oh, well, well thank you. I, I like 
people, but I think it's funny. I like certain people. <laughs> and I think I've noticed I'm drawn to the, I've just always been, you know, the way some people are drawn to celebrities, I'm just attracted to people that have figured out how to make a life producing real things. Um, you know, and I, I, since I was a young girl, it was that way. I used to sell, you know, beads, beaded necklaces. <laughs> which, which is a perfect segue to the new initiative war against fake things like plastic and Amazon. Bring us all the way back. Washington. We're going to take another break before we get on to that, but we're going to come back with our guest, Nicole Delma. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. And we will be right back after this. Welcome back. Sunday's on the East End with Bridget Leroy. Alejandro Sacolo. <laughs> and we have our guest, Nicole Delma of Sag Harbor, a multi-talented environmental activist, supermom, and maker kit maker. That doesn't sound right. But uh, Alec had just alluded to this um, this petition that you started, which has had a phenomenal uh amount of signatures. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, so the petition started in November, um, had no expectation whatsoever that it would take off. We're, we're due to hit, I think, 356,000 signatures. The petition is uh, very specifically uh, to ask Amazon to offer a plastic-free packaging option at checkout. And it's not to to single out Amazon for any reason um, other than that they are sending more than 50% of the packages in this country right now. And so I have done a lot of work with with different companies between Surfrider, 4Ocean, um, you know, different nonprofits. And I was racking my brain to think, what is one thing that would not be heavy lifting, that would not guilt the consumers? Because I feel like the shaming of straws and the shaming of plastic bags, while, while it had good output many reasons, wasn't going to work broadly because a lot of people had a reaction to say, I want that choice. And so I, I came up with this idea that why, why can't we choose at checkout? Because, you know, when I was uh, pregnant with my second daughter, I broke my ankle. <laughs> and I was like on crutches. I couldn't go anywhere. And I had to use Amazon a lot more to order those final things before the baby arrives than I planned to. And I was just overwhelmed at the amount of packaging that showed up. And Cardboard's one thing because there there are resources out here to recycle cardboard, although they're dwindling. But we are very very limited in plastic recycling, and especially the plastic film that's used in the smart pack, um, in the bubble wrap internally, um, and in you know kind of like that filler air wrap in there. And it may say it's recyclable, but if you go onto the Amazon website and their recycling facilities recommendation it'll send you 20 miles from here. I drove the 20 miles and they didn't know what I was talking about when I arrived to the location that Amazon specified. <laughs> and again, I'm not looking to pick a fight or, or point fingers at companies like Amazon, but it does feel like there are ethical challenges to the consumption uh, economy that we all uh, are, are, you know, now living in. And, you know, whether it's the, uh, you know, the rights and the uh, well-being of, of the people on the factory floors, or it's the way that the packages uh, are, pa are packaged, or it's even, uh, you know, the, the flow of traffic in, in, in most cities and towns, where now you have to have all these deliveries all the time. There's so many things that I, I think uh, deserve a chance to be looked at. And like, what I really like what you're saying is, and allow the consumer to hopefully have a little bit more of a voice in in how they want to participate. Exactly. And I, I wanted to jump in because that's what this is about. This is not, I mean, for the for anyone who's just joining us, this is not demanding that Amazon stop packing things in plastic. This is giving the consumer a, a choice to check a box on the Amazon website saying, I don't want 
plastic packaging, which sounds completely reasonable. I mean, this is the land of the free. We should be able to choose. And you have how many signatures on this? It's Is it petition.org? Um, it's change.org forward slash plastic free choice. Um, and yeah, there's, there's 356,000 signatures and more. I just started um, emailing the list again. And I, this was just me. I didn't put much budget into it a bit to, to kind of get the word spread out on social. And, you know, I, I just was emailing the list and asking them to share. And it went, you know, very quickly from a thousand, which was staggering to me to 50,000, which was inconceivable. And then, you know, about a month later, 150. And, and what will a win look like for an initiative like this, in your opinion? So it's a great question. So I am fortunate enough that uh, the largest ocean nonprofit, Oceana, um, who I'm familiar with through my friend, Susan Rockefeller, is got, is going to partner with me on this. Um, you know, the win would ultimately look like there's there's kind of two things that we're battling here. One is, you know, the ultimate win of that plastic free choice at online checkout. Um, and we're waiting to hear back from Amazon as to what the implications are, the hurdles are to prevent them from including that. You know, they they have a few different reasons, one of which is they say, you know, air freight is more expensive for cardboard than for or for paper than plastic. And so we need to hear back on that. And then there's a second piece of this, which is buried to, as consumers, but merchants, which, you know, there's there's hundreds of thousands of merchants now on Amazon. They have a rule on their site that literally is called bubble wrap non-compliance, where you can get a chargeback as a merchant if you don't use enough plastic bubble wrap. And so the shorter term win that we're hoping for is a change in that policy to where they'll accept products like Randpack's paper honeycomb, which I've been using for the maker kits, the pottery delivery, perfectly protects materials. Um, you know, I, someone shipped me light bulbs wrapped in it and they arrived perfectly safely. This idea that we have to use plastic and that it's mandated by Amazon and you'll get fined if you don't um, is the, the part that needs to be changed immediately because they're positioning it with no choice. I, I want to hear that you get a call directly from Jeff Bezos saying, we're going to use some stuff, you know, but 350,000 signatures, more than that. I just looked, it's like 356,000. Um, and what is the, give the um, address again, Nicole? Change.org. Change.org forward slash plastic free choice. Yeah, what an interesting initiative because, um, again, like it, it's empowering the consumer and, and hopefully allowing each person to take a little bit more ownership of, of their own ethics in a uh in a globalized economy that's really uh that's cool yeah it's super cool well thanks i i think it resonated with people because it um it took away that finger pointing and saying you know and especially during this crisis where you know i personally there's certain things i could not get at the beginning of the quarantine without going to amazon and you know, at the at the grocery store, you can say I want paper or plastic, but when you order online, it just shows up in whatever they want to send it in, and you can't filter by that. Right, but I can almost hear the 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 logic police saying yes, but it's cheaper to ship. I mean, that's the whole reason why plastic proliferated to begin with. Yeah. Is it's cheaper to ship, and so uh, that is also <laughs> just another layer of uh maybe a mindfulness that that uh we, we all need to embrace of of you know what is the cost and what is the benefit uh for anything that's very true we're we're working with oceana's research team to do a life cycle analysis of of the different packaging because any of the analysis that's gone into it so far which is minimal has kind of only looked at that initial stage it doesn't look at what happens to the packaging after it's um, removed. And here in Long Island, our landfill is full. So if you have a, a plastic Amazon bag and you think you're recycling it, it's getting incinerated, most likely. Right. And, and that, that also goes, we had mentioned straws and you know, just recently. Um, you know, I don't really know what the full environmental impact of, of straws are. I do know that, you know, years ago when the Prius first hit the, uh, the, the market, uh, and I was still out in California, I, I had a conversation with somebody who was trying to tell me just you know hold off on on a Prius because if you live in a city you might not actually be uh, having the positive impact that you think you're having because uh, of all the starting and stopping and slower speed and and uh, it, it, it's a way to just feel good if you have it you know I, I feel like it's bringing us back to what we started talking about which is mindfulness and awareness people are more 
you know, who whoever thought when we were kids opening birthday presents, what happened to the gift wrap? Now we're in this stage as adults where we really need to think about what's happening to our cardboard boxes and the plastic that what we order is packed in. I mean, that's just not something that we ever thought we'd need to think about. And now it is dire. It is so necessary that we think about these things. I thank you. I, I agree. Yeah. I, I could tell you, um, I have taken to um, wrapping gifts in the newspaper. So very cool. Are you giving people a lot of fried fish? No, no. I'm just saying, it's, it's, it's just another way of doing a gift wrap. You don't necessarily need the glossy paper. Right. As someone who started a newspaper on the East End, thank you. I we all thank you for getting the newspaper <laughs> so that you can wrap. No, I'm not. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being actual. I love the thought of the independent having a life after, you know, after someone's read it. So that's a good thing. Use the independent and all of our local papers to get rip, wrap gifts. Good idea. And, and it's great packaging if you're shipping things. I mean, there there wasn't the need for plastic bubble wrap. It wasn't as superior. And, you know, it gets, it gets much deeper. We talked earlier about um, movies or films that really moved me. And there was a film called The Story of Plastic that I think was the, the tipping point for me once I understood how interconnected companies that use a lot of fuel are with the distribution of plastics. So if you look at the airline industry, if you look at the bottled beverage industry, and then if you look at Amazon, any company that needs a lot of fuel and needs that fuel cheap is also very actively distributing plastic. Um, and I, I don't have proof or evidence, but I've talked to a number of experts that do feel like there are, are kickbacks or incentives and you know, I, I don't want to go too far into the sinister side of it, but I think it, it's just that we should have that choice. And now that I, I like to say doorfront's the new storefront, <laughs> now that this is how we're shopping for the, the near future, uh, let's ask for the same privileges that we have in person. Well, you know, we only have about five minutes left and we want to really talk about your relationship to with Jesse Spooner, your husband, the, the owner <laughs> and your, your two little girls, Georgica and Indigo, who are adorable and your relationship to the East End. Do you think that, do you think that I, I, there are just so many people who are so passionate and active uh, about the environment? Do you think that, I mean, obviously, because we live in a beautiful place, people become more mindful when they're out here. I mean, when they're out here for a long time. Or do you think people are drawn to it because they're mindful? I think that the, it's a combination. There, There is undoubtedly uh, a special light here, a special energy here, and, and you find it in, in different pockets more so than others. Uh, but I, you know, that's what drew me here was that I found more people that I had more in common with than I did when I was living in the city. And I think there will always be, you know, a, a mindset that comes out here and is not uh, adjusting to the how we drive slower and we we don't you know we we say hello and uh, that but that may change. You just said the word drive slower and I I actually think uh, there's a it's not just the beauty of this place but I think that the clock moves a little differently here and with that I certainly know when when I'm away from the East End and I come back it takes me a day or two to get back into that kind of uh, timing and pacing. With that, it, it's a lot uh, more attractive to, to be a little bit mindful, I think. I, uh, I have the chance to think about things a little bit uh, more. That's really true. I, I feel the same way. And I um, think if you can just appreciate what we do have, there's, you know, I kind of turn off the the radar for the those that maybe aren't, aren't set on the same speed and, you know, hope and see that they come around. And uh, I've noticed it. I've noticed families that have moved, you know, with young children out to Sag Harbor in the last few years. And there's sort of a six month adjustment period where they're still trying to make plans all the time and, <laughs> and stay very busy. And then they kind of get it and they, they settle into not having plans and just going with the book. And by the way, I, I heard this week that enrollment at Pearson is, is up in the fall, that a lot of people that, that could have second homes out here are choosing to spend the fall here yeah. because of COVID. Yeah. And that's going to be a really interesting uh, new addition to, uh, and dynamic. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, all of the positive stuff uh, just uh, spreads uh, infectiously, no pun intended. That would be amazing. I, I do think people are drawn out here, you know, that, that connect with the, the environment um, and want, want to enjoy all that it has. And as much as we can bring them along and, and understand that it, it's beautiful out here because of those groups that get up and clean the beaches early in the morning and because of naturalists like Mike Bettini and Carl Safina and, you know, people like Edwina Von Gaal that are championing 
um, and educating and, you know, all of the different townships working closely. It just made me think of a movie that I watched really recently on maybe Amazon. Sorry, but <laughs> and okay. it, it was, I'm not against Amazon. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We, we joke here. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was <laughs> Billy Strong and Del Cullum, is that possible? They did a film together where they went to one of the like Galap like one of the farthest Galapagos Islands. Yes. Bella. Yes. And there and they went there with the idea of finding a place of complete purity and of course, surprise, surprise, plastic all over the beaches. So wow. it's just incredible. I mean, for you to be able to find that uh that tipping point between you know, do not not being angry all the time and just jumping in feet first and doing all of these things, starting the Airland and Sea with the Hamptons International Film Festival, doing these maker kits with mindoffline.org. And you're also, aren't you, uh, this is more event-driven, I guess. Sorry, Saki doesn't like event-driven stuff, but aren't you participating in a panel really soon at yes, Southampton? Yes, so. I, I am, yes. So I'll be... Um... It'll be moderated by Susan Rockefeller. It's uh, on June 5th, and you can register on the Southampton Arts Center uh, website. And the topic is, you know, the ripple effect, how small changes can really um, have a large impact. And we're going to have John Barley Dunn, um, Oyster Man, myself, and, and Susan Rockefeller, and Carl Safina will be joining as well. So I'm really honored to be talking to that group of people, and those are all people that are making an impact. How are you handling the social distancing for this event? Uh, it it will be done on Zoom, so okay. it, it's going to be. Mm -hmm. It was it's supposed to be an in person event, but we'll do it virtually. And um, I I think that that's the message of anything that I hope to convey to other people is, you know, don't don't aim to start something huge. Like aim to do something small that's within your area of expertise and that you really care about, and you you do without thinking about the amount of time you're putting into it. And chances are that will be successful. And that that's what I found. Oh, that's wonderful. And what a what a great way to to kick off the show, uh, the end of the show, realizing that we really can do very small things with great love and make a huge difference. Do you want to take us out, Alec? Yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, you know, I hope everybody has a safe and uh, fun week. And I, I would say, just in hearing everything, uh, you know, turn off the, uh, the social media a little bit, get, get your hands dirty on a project in the backyard and in, in, in the house, wherever you can do and make something. And, and I would say one of the, my big takeaways from this conversation is, uh, what, what was, what was it? Doorstep, something, the doorstep, uh, door front is the new storefront. <laughs> Doorfront is the new storefront. Thank you. Everybody be well and stay well.